This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of June 13th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. As we've discussed in previous episodes, the tech industry is a vital component of Indiana's economic development future. State officials and venture capitalists have put an immense amount of time and energy into supporting the state's tech industry, making sure conditions are right for young firms to grow, hire more employees, establish big bases of operation, enrich local investors, and eventually spin out more tech companies. 2021 was a banner year for the Indiana tech ecosystem. According to Indianapolis-based Elevate Ventures, venture capital investments in Indiana companies hit an all-time high of $1.4 billion in 2021, nearly triple the amount of investment seen the previous year. Two-thirds of that haul beefed up the business-to-business tech sector, which saw 88 deals worth a combined $923 million. And it's safe to say that some of the other deals in the life sciences, agricultural science, advanced manufacturing, and the business-to-consumer sector had significant technological elements as well. Now, 2022 seems to have tighter pockets. The flow of investment dollars has slowed so far this year. During the first quarter, Indiana tech companies attracted just $52.2 million in investment, down from $102 million during the first quarter of last year. We're also seeing a pullback nationally. U.S. venture investments hit $70.7 billion in the first quarter of this year, down from $95.4 billion in the previous quarter, and from $77 billion quarter from the first quarter of 2021. Technology reporter Susan Orr reports in the latest issue of IBJ that tech investors in Indiana are advising their companies to plan for a tighter spigot on capital and to make their current stashes last longer. On a national level, we're seeing hiring freezes and thousands of layoffs. For the latest edition of the IBJ podcast, I've invited Susan to fill us in on why venture capital is getting more scarce and what this means for Indiana's tech ecosystem. Here's our conversation. I would like to welcome back to the podcast, Susan Orr, IBJ's technology reporter. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while. Of course, I did just see you. <laughs> it's but not like we work on opposite sides of the country. No, but we haven't seen each other in the podcast studio. That's true. This yeah, it's a new experience, yeah. And, uh, and, and much better than it used to be. Well, let's get right to the story. And I thought it'd be good for folks that don't cover uh, technology, <laughs> folks who are not reporters, and for folks who uh, are not in the technology industry, have a quick rundown of what venture capital is. Uh, yes, venture capital is a, um, a type of investment, and generally uh, venture capital is investing in early stage companies, and they, they really like to focus on, on tech or tech-related companies. And the concept is, uh, if you're a venture investor, you're getting in on the, the ground floor or you know close to the ground floor on a, a, a company that you feel like has promise for the future. Of course, they're risky investments because not every company makes it, but if you uh, win, you can win big. And you mentioned that these are early stage companies, but there are also different strata of early stage companies. Uh, what are the different different times that I could get in if I'm an investor looking to, to get a piece of something? 
Uh, it, it really ranges the gamut. There's um, usually the way that, that uh, funding is identified is by what stage it is. And so there's something called either pre-seed or seed funding. That's basically for a, a super new company that might not have even launched yet, but the pre-seed might be money to, to allow them to develop a product or to do market research. And then you get into the different series, and sometimes you'll hear series A, series B, series C. Series A is basically the first main big funding uh, once you get past the seed stage. So series B would be, you know, the second time a company raises a big amount of money. Uh, in general, the, the later the stage, the more money is involved. Although, you know, you can see valuations or investments of, of different sizes, but uh, generally, the you know, Series C is going to be for a company that's probably been around for at least a few years and is bigger, and so that that would be why, you know, it has, number one, the, the need for more money, and it has built up somewhat of a track record so that maybe investors are willing to invest more money. So last year was a banner year for venture capital in Indiana, nationally, globally. Why do insiders expect investment capital, venture capital, to flow less freely this year than it did in 2021? Why are the spigots getting tighter? You know, there's a couple of different reasons. I mean, if you look at it just on a basic economics level, uh, last year was so crazy. I mean, nothing can stay at that high pitch. Uh, <laughs> you know, at some point it was almost inevitable it was going to decline. Um, people that I talked to said, well, just general macroeconomic factors, uh, you know, that are affecting the economy in general are going to infect, affect investments. A couple people mentioned, I mean, supply chain slowdowns and even the war in Ukraine, just anything that makes it maybe a little more uncertain or harder to do business is, is going to have an effect on the economy. And of course, uh, venture capital is part of the economy. Sure. And one other thing that I heard was that the IPO, the initial public offering market, had really slowed down. And I mean, my impression is that a lot of people, you know, get into venture capital because they want to be there when that private company goes public. And that's, and that is, you know, the, that's the, the Valhalla of <laughs> venture right, capital. That's, yeah. I mean, that's how you can earn a big payout. I mean, that's, that's one of the success strategies. Yeah. If that happens. So are we seeing evidence of the slowdown already, or is this primarily more a suspicion of, of people in the sector? Uh, I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, the, the numbers, the, the Indiana numbers actually do show this. Um, TechPoint, which uh, keeps track of the tech industry throughout the whole state of Indiana, they come out with quarterly reports to, to let people know, um, you know what the level of investment is. And, uh, of course, this is just publicly reported things, so it's not necessarily every investment, but just the ones that they know about. Uh, during the first quarter, uh, they said there was a total of $52.2 million in investment in tech companies around the state, which sounds like a lot, but in first quarter a year ago, it was $102 million. The other way to look at that is there were many more investments this quarter than last quarter, uh, so more smaller investments. And, you know, TechPoint, I think, has argued that well, the fact that there's a lot of smaller investments, that bodes well because it means there's a lot of potential companies that are in that, you know, just getting started stage and a lot that could potentially grow and succeed. So, I mean, it kind of depends on how you look at it. And this might be blindingly obvious uh, to some people, but why, why should uh, mom and pop care about what's happening in the venture capital world? 
Uh, well, tech tech is a, a significant area of emphasis for the state, and I think more so in the last year or so, um, with the IEDC putting a big emphasis on emerging industries, and tech is a big part of that. So, I guess if you take the very big picture approach, uh, Indiana sees tech as a you know promising uh, engine of economic growth, and of course, when you're a startup, this venture investment helps you succeed and it helps you grow and it helps helps you get to the point where maybe you have hundreds of employees and maybe you're an exact target and you get acquired by Salesforce and that's sort of the ultimate success story. But if a company just starting out never never gets the investment to grow to that level, that's why. Yeah. And that's a great example, the exact target example where, I mean, they, they went from small private company to big public company and the, the cash out for a lot of those investors uh, became seed money for new companies. That's so we have right. a whole like second and third tier of companies that came from that big bang. Right. So, I mean, you have to take the long view. I mean, maybe, you know, today, tomorrow, it doesn't matter to the average person. But if you take it, you know, look out over the next five or 10 years, well, if these small companies are finding it harder to attract investment today, that potentially makes it less likely that they're going to grow into what could be the um, exact target slash Salesforce 10 years from now. Yeah, and to be clear, the companies in the Indianapolis area are still landing significant deals, some that we've reported on just very recently. I think last week, Indianapolis-based environmental technology firm NCAMP announced it had landed $30 million in Series C funding. I mean, it seems to me just looking back maybe three or four years ago, a $30 million VC haul was huge. And in, the, in recent years, it has not been necessarily exceptional. Right. The financial technology firm Decimal LLC announced $9 million in seed funding. Two weeks ago, Fishers-based marketing tech company Vibonomics announced $12.3 million investment. Now, are these... Do we look at these as exceptions to this new trend, or really has the trend not hit Indianapolis yet? Uh, I would say the people that I talked to, and this was both investors and uh, company leadership for some of these startups, a lot of them feel like, well, it hasn't maybe quite hit hit here yet uh, in a big way, but uh, the way these things usually go, as uh, has been explained to me, is the big public companies maybe start cutting back. You think of Netflix announcing layoffs and you know disappointing earnings for a lot of these other companies. And then over time, that maybe in a quarter or two, that tends to trickle down to some of the smaller companies. So I don't think anybody's panicking yet or you know doing mass layoffs. But you know companies, um, Alice Ventures mentioned uh, that's a local investment firm that some of the companies that they fund have instituted hiring freezes. We got word that Terminus, uh, which has a big office here, uh, had some cuts, although the company wouldn't wouldn't go into detail about what those were, but they said a small percentage. So yeah, I think there is somewhat of a slowdown. I think the examples, uh, the NCAMP and Decimal and Vibonomics, those are also good examples of what they offer customers might see as a very necessary thing. These are not like frill products. Um, and CAMP uh, helps customers uh, comply with environmental regulations. And they point out if you don't comply with environmental regulations, you can be subject to some big fines. And so uh, their customers 
they don't have to use in camp to do it, but they have to do it. And so they're they're offering something, and in camp right now offers just a limited number of products only in the U.S. And so they see a big uh, opportunity. Well, hey, we could pick up some customers in other countries, or we could get into like clean water is a big thing that they'd like to get into, and they have. Um, fair amount of confidence that the customers that are using them for what they do offer now would stick with them and buy more products from them if they could offer this. So, and, yeah, so if uh, you, you can make a, make a case for the need for that product and you have a, a good pitch, um, you still can raise money. Right, yeah, and Vibonomics, I guess I would put in that same uh, category. They're the ones you might remember a couple of years ago, they landed Kroger as a customer, and they they have a platform where when you go into Kroger and you hear the, uh, the music in the background, and then you might hear the in-store announcements or uh, advertisements, Vibonomics offers the platform to make that possible. So what they're offering to customers is, hey, if you use the system, you could... Uh, you know, customers might spend more in your stores. And so, you know, strictly you don't have to have that in a store, but if you're promising that uh, you'll earn more money by buying our product, then that's going to be appealing. This is only apropos to me, but I have to say I love shopping, and it's almost always because of the music. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I don't go to clubs anymore. I go shopping. (laughs) Like Trader Joe's. Uh, You're old. Oh, my God, I'm old. But I do love music. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast. And my interview with Susan Orr about an anticipated slowdown in venture capital for tech companies. Yeah, one of the extraordinary things in your story, I think, is that two of the Indiana-based groups that provide venture capital to startups went on the record as saying they're counseling the startups that they work with to prepare for leaner times. And you mentioned Allos. Right. Remind me kind of where they sit in the, in the ecosystem. Uh, Allos pretty much uh, funds early stage tech companies, uh, not just in Indiana, but uh, they are based in Indianapolis. And uh, one specific that um, Allos partner David Kerr told me was that there's a concept in startup funding called uh, Runway, and basically what runway means is how long you think that the cash you've got on hand will last. So if a company has 12 months of runway, they that, that's another way of saying they, they think that they've got enough money to, to last them about 12 months before they might need to go out and raise more money. Uh, so he's saying, you know, if, if you were thinking that your runway was anywhere from 12 to 18 months, think about ways that maybe you could extend that to 18 to 24 months. The concept being, you know, if we're in a little bit of a slowdown, you don't want to have to go out and raise money if you don't have to. Um, and in fact, Encamp told me uh, that they did not necessarily need to raise money right now, but the opportunity came up and not all of their motivation, but part of it, they said, well, things might not be as easy as, as they are right now. We're going to take it. And, and they said now they, they feel like they've got about three years worth of runway. So they've got a nice cushion uh, and avoids having to 
uh, maybe go out and and try to fundraise in a in a down market. A lot of these companies are doing what what anybody does, uh, especially in these economic times. They're penny pitching. I mean, they're looking for ways sure uh, to extend what they have. Sure. And we also uh, spoke with the folks at Indianapolis-based High Alpha, which uh, is, is a fairly extraordinary company. At least it feels like it does here in Indianapolis. I mean, it, it incubates, launches, and funds tech startups right. with a focus on business-to-business software as a service. And what message is it giving its companies? Uh, similar to, to what Alice conveyed, um, Christian Anderson, who's one of the um, the partners at High Alpha, one of the people sort of at the top, he said he's he's telling companies basically to, to face reality, <laughs> is how he put it. <laughs> and uh, just realize that funding might dry up a little bit and that you might need to make what you've got last a little bit longer. Uh, Christian is also just a very upbeat type person and he, he was also talking about you know this could be an opportunity to really take another look at the why of your company and really get you know get refocused on what you're doing and why you're doing it and uh, you know potentially emerge stronger um, another thing Christian said that was interesting he said that if you're a you know a top performing a really solid company you are not going to have problems attracting money he said the good, good companies are going to have to become great and if you're not even good, then <laughs> you're really in trouble. Uh, so sort of forcing people to level up their game, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I would say that, that these uh, companies that, that we mentioned a minute ago that all have recently got funding, uh, they're probably good examples of that. They've got a product that people perceive as probably necessary. Uh, they're growing. Uh, some of these companies are already profitable, which is not insignificant. Sometimes it takes a company years to become profitable. That's a great point now that I think about it, is that a lot of these companies aren't generating a profit yet. They're, they are subsisting on this money they're getting from investors. Right, right. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's, it can be a survival play. If, <laughs> you know, if you're, not, you're not to the point where you're uh, making a profit yet, Where's that money going to come from? You spoke with a Bloomington-based firm called Civic Champs, which I think just two months ago closed on $615,000 right. on seed funding. That's pretty early stage funding. Right. Now, they originally had expected that to last through the end of the year. What is it saying now about stretching out that investment? Originally, I think they uh, they said that they, they figured that that investment uh, would get them through the end of this year. And now they're saying, well, we're sort of looking at what we can do to stretch that out um, potentially to uh, 12 to 18 months, so potentially through the end of next year. Uh, their CEO was talking about, and, and some of these plans are still fluid. I mean, they're still thinking about it, but um, they they outsource certain of their functions. You know, they, they outsource uh, development talent to, um, not that they don't have in-house developers, but it's a very small company, uh, fewer than a dozen people. So if they hire outside developers, that means they can excel, you know, they can develop products faster and launch products faster, uh, marketing, that sort of thing. And so one way that, that they are considering potentially cutting costs is not using that outsourced freelance talent basically and just bringing it in-house because they can other than the legal work he said they could do most of it in-house it just means that uh, they wouldn't be able to um, move as fast because basically they'd have fewer people working on the same thing so Uh, you spoke with two firms that recently had nine-figure VC raises Indianapolis-based Formstack and Indianapolis-based Greenlight Guru. Formstack had raised $425 million last fall. 
Greenlight Guru raised $120 million in June 2021. Uh, are they taking evasive action against the slowdown in BC? Um, or do they have what they need for the foreseeable future? Well, the Greenlight Guru um, said, you know, everybody realizes the market slowed down. We're sort of, we're, we're optimistic, but we're, you know, evaluating things. And if we need to change, we will. Um, it's notable that the company has had a handful of acquisitions just since January that they've announced. So they're definitely, they, they're not in too defensive of a posture if they're still acquiring that, that company, uh, their technology helps medical device developers develop their product and make sure that it's compliant with FDA and, and other regulations. So uh, you could put that as a, in a category of, you know, something that its customers see, hey, this can help us launch to market faster, it helps them potentially save money. Formstack, kind of the same thing. They're, they're still hiring. Formstack technology allows customers to uh, move what used to be maybe a paper form to an online form and potentially save a lot of, uh, you know, staff time and uh, streamline things. Uh, So that's another potential example of, you know, they're offering something that if customers continue to see value in it during a downturn, especially if those customers themselves might be uh, reducing their headcount, that bodes well. Formstack also made the point that for 11 out of the 12 years it's been in existence, it's run a profitable company. So mm. it knows how to, it can do it. It's done it, you know, for most of its life. And I think that gives that company a lot of comfort that, that they can get through this this next period. Is there a silver lining to any of this? I was just thinking about what you said about, about forcing companies, for example, to really up their game. Uh, I guess you could also say that this also is sort of a natural evolutionary weed out moment for some companies. Right. But is, I mean, is there an, another way uh, for the for the most optimistic of us to look at <laughs> the slowdown in venture capital? Well, at least within the industry, I would say yes. Um, more than one person said, uh, you know, the hiring market has just been so crazy tight uh, the last few years that if companies are slowing down their hiring plans or if they're even um, laying off people, those companies that are in a position to still hire feel like, well, we can probably pick up some really good people that we would not have been able to to land. So from a a hiring shortage standpoint, if you're an employer that's in market to hire uh, skilled tech people, then yeah, that, that is a bright spot. Every third episode of the IBJ podcast comes down to talent. <laughs> I mean, this this is the issue of the decade: is being able to find the talent to staff. You know, these new companies that aren't interested in becoming big companies. Right. And uh, and and here we go. This is another example. Yeah, and I think I think with tech too, it might be even more um, of an issue because you know a fair number of companies are remote only. Uh, which means they don't have an office. And a lot of companies, uh, a question that I've, I've started asking is, okay, you're based in Indianapolis. How many of your employees live in this area? Because they don't necessarily, and sometimes only a few do. So the, there's a plus and a, a minus to that, is that these companies, these local companies, can can and have hired talent from all over the country, and including places like Austin, Texas, which is a big tech hotspot. Uh, the downside is that people that live 
here or anywhere can also get jobs anywhere. So <laughs> uh, you, you've got a bigger pool of competition and a bigger potential pool of um, people you could hire. So it kind of works both ways. Well, this is great. Uh, well, not great, but it, this is a, for a new story, a great new story, and that we can follow up on this here and probably let's look at it another six months and see what the VC market has done That's uh, right. as we head into the fourth quarter. That's right. Yeah. And Tech Point, like I said, Tech Point, every quarter they come out with a a roundup of um, they look at both investment and they look at mergers and acquisitions. And that's a really good way to, uh, you know, at least periodically sort of check in and see, okay, how are things doing? And uh, yeah, numbers are always good because you can look at the numbers and then you can look at, well, why are the numbers the way they are? And that, that was sort of how this story evolved. All right, it's a date, but I'm sure I'll see you before then. Oh, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your reporting. It's a great story. Thanks, Mason. My thanks again to Susan Orr. And as I mentioned, you can read Susan's story in the latest issue of IBJ. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few other stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to bring to your attention. First up. The city of Indianapolis is considering selling carbon credits to invest in carbon-reducing forestry projects, and it might be able to turn some sizable local companies into customers. Leslie Bonilla Muniz writes that corporate interest in carbon neutrality is opening opportunities for city programs. Also in this week's issue, Daniel Bradley explains how the not-for-profit Agape Therapeutic Writing Resources helps people with disabilities and mental health challenges by providing opportunities to bond with animals. And Mickey Shuey reports that the Indianapolis Airport Authority has updated its incentives plan to free up more fuel, $5 million in fuel, to chase non-stop flights, especially to international destinations. Again, we can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say it's quite a bit easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business, and now works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. Thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. The editor of our podcast is Leslie Weidenbenner. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.